No one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You probably know by now, the, after singing all those songs, the message today is about facing temptation. Facing temptation. What is your, this is rhetorical, you don't say this out loud, what is your greatest temptation right now? I know it's probably chocolate. Some of you thought that right away. But what temptation is living rent-free in your head on a daily basis? What temptation? James points out in verse 14, I'll bring this back up here. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation is a result of a desire that's within you. Did you know that? You have a desire, and it comes out in a temptation. I'm really hollow. Like, if we can bring maybe something, adjust that a little bit, I feel like if... I don't want to scare anybody. Maybe just bring the, the down, volume down a little bit. How many of you are familiar with, much better, thank you, a psychologist uh, doing a study where he put children in a room one at a time and offered them a marshmallow? You ever heard about this study? So the psychologist put the child in a room one at a time, offered them a marshmallow, said, if you wait until I get back, I will give you two marshmallows. Now, that is temptation for a child, right? Because when the, child, the psychologist left the room, the ch- some of the children immediately <laughs> ate that marshmallow. Some of them could wait, and they got two marshmallows. But the interesting part of the study is what happened years later as they... Um, followed these children, some 18 years later, they discovered that those children that had self-control at a very young age were very successful later in life. And those that did not have very much self-control, they had some problems later on in life. You're probably thinking right now, which child do I have? (laughs) Which one was I? I thought to myself, what would Jesus have done? And the answer is simple. You would have multiplied the marshmallows so everybody can eat all the marshmallows they want. But what does it sound like in the mind of a child when they are looking at that marshmallow? For the ones that faced the temptation and lost, I feel like their minds were saying, I want that marshmallow, I want that marshmallow, I want that marshmallow. And the ones that had the self-control, they were probably saying, I can do this. I can wait. I can wait. You see, when temptation comes, right, it's all in our minds. What voices in your head, what are the voices in your head saying when you are facing temptations of life? Because we all have temptations, don't we, in life? We all have temptations that we face on a daily basis. They are unhealthy desires. Some of them are unhealthy desires waiting to give birth. That's really what James is saying. And temptation can be agonizing. You don't want to give in to the temptation, do you? 
But then you might think, well, what if I just do it one time? Or what if I just get back on track next week? Right? What, what, what could happen if you don't or if you give in to your temptation? And here's the, the nasty, sad truth. If you give in to your temptation, it could become a stronghold in your life. It could become a habit, an addiction, a hold so strong that it can ruin your life and the people around you. Well, I'm here to help you today. I want you to see how Jesus faced temptation because we always want to know what would Jesus do. And I want you to break free from a stronghold if you have one in your life. And the best way that I know how to do this is to understand that God's word is the way of escape. God's word is the way of escape. Just listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You think you're alone in your temptation? The devil wants you to think that. You're not alone. Someone else has had the same temptation. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will always provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it. God's word is the way of escape. That's what that is saying right there. God's word is your way of escape. Let's pray. God, help us today to hear your word, to let it sink into our minds. Father, I pray that we could fight the maybe tiredness, the weariness that we have, and that we could put aside all the distractions that are going on in our head right now, and that we could focus on your word for the next 20 to 30 minutes, that we could hear the truth, and that truth could set us free, because God, we don't want to be tempted, and we don't want to be falling and failing in our temptations, and we don't want to see anything become a stronghold in our life, for God, we want to be 100% ready and willing and able to be yours, to bring you glory, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. So we're looking at the harmony of the Gospels all year and a little bit of next year. The harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they come together and teach us. And you're to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as four of the seven books I recommended this year. And the two books we're looking at today are Matthew and Luke, mostly Matthew chapter 4. That's where we see the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. How did Jesus resist temptation? When you see, when I reveal it to you today, when I show you, it's very clear. In every temptation that he had, he resisted using God's word properly, in context. God's word is the way of escape. Let's begin in chapter 4, verse 1 in Matthew. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, when you read scripture, you should ask scripture questions. Why? What? Where? When? How? Ask scripture questions. The question that I asked is, why would the Holy Spirit do this to Jesus? Why did the Holy Spirit take Jesus into the wilderness so he could be tempted by the devil? Seems like, to me, he would want to lead him away from the devil. But there's a purpose behind it. Because God knew you would ask this question, because all of us asked this question probably at one point. Could Jesus actually have sinned? It's kind of a dilemma, right? It's sort of a deeper theological question. Could Jesus 
And believe me when I tell you, scholars have argued this uh, over the centuries. Could Jesus have actually sinned? Well, because if he can't sin, well, how does he die for your sins? That's my, that's where I come to, right? I mean, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So if a God is going to see Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, right, for you, so that you can have forgiveness, I believe Jesus could have sinned. He was fully human. But he was also fully divine, which makes him very, very unique, obviously. Here's the first temptation. 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, he was hungry. He was hungry. Is it possible to go 40 days without food? They would say, scientists say, yeah, you can do that. But can you go 40 days without water? No, you cannot. You can't. So I think in the, just to kind of let everybody know, out in that wilderness, Jesus had some, what I would probably call some angel aid or cactus aid or raven aid. You know, Elijah, Elijah had some ravens feeding him and helping him out. So whatever you want to call it, before there was Gatorade, there was maybe cactus aid or something. I don't know. Jesus was drinking that. How many of you have ever taken a psychology course before in college or high school? Okay. So you might be familiar with a guy named Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. What he says is that there's a human motivation pattern, and the first level of motivation for all human beings is that we need a physiological need satisfied. We need our thirst our hunger, right? We need warmth, we need rest. And honestly, you don't need to have taken a psychology class to know what it means to feel hangry. How many of you have felt hangry before? Hungry and angry, right? And you get to that point, you don't care about anything else. Get me some food, right? Well, here's the tempter coming to Jesus after 40 days without food exposed to the elements, right? Probably not well rested. He's hangry. And the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I know you're hangry, Jesus. Eat some bread. Get some food for yourself. He's trying to um, tempt that kind of first level of motivation we have as human beings. Now, when he said that, the tempter says, if you are the Son of God, I made an observation. When you read Scripture, observe. Jot down notes. Underline it. Highlight it. Here's my observation. The devil didn't believe Jesus was divine. If you are the Son of God. He saw a human like everyone else did when Jesus walked on this earth. They saw a human being. They were constantly asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? And for all you superhero, Marvel comic buffs, I think Jesus had the ability to cloak his divinity, if you will. There was this divinity of Jesus that maybe not everyone was able to see until their eyes were open. This also shows in this passage this wisdom and power of God over the devil. There's a lot of people, sometimes we think that the devil and God are, are in this battle and they're even. Folks, they're not even. God is the creator. They are not equal. The devil does not stand a chance. Okay? But he has been given some, some liberality here. 
And um, I've also observed something that should scare us. The devil lies and misuses scripture. Did you notice that? He says, turn the stone into bread. Come on, Lucifer. You've got to know your facts here. Moses didn't turn the stone into bread. He turned the stone into water, right? As God predicted. Now, Jesus doesn't correct them, right? He, he more points to the fact that I'm going to fight this temptation by applying God's word. God's word is the way of escape. And he quotes, uh, in verse 4, he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3 and 4. So I'm just going to read to you from Deuteronomy so you can see what Jesus is quoting, give you more of the context, because some of you might be a little confused when Jesus says man does not live by bread alone. What does that mean, man does not live by bread alone? Well, in Deuteronomy 8, 3 and 4, it says, he humbled you, and this is Moses speaking, God um, uh, did this to the people. He humbled you, he let you hunger, he fed you with manna. You didn't even know about manna. Your fathers didn't know about it. So that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then he points out, and I needed to show you this in verse 4, that he, uh, the people in the wilderness for 40 years, their clothing did not wear out and their shoes uh, did not wear out, uh, their feet did not swell. My son goes through, I feel like, a pair of shoes every month <laughs> as, a, as a sporty kind of kid. How is it that they didn't go through their stuff in 40 years? Well, clearly God provided everything for them. Jesus explains in this what he's saying as his way of, of facing this temptation is, is that you don't get it. God provides everything. And if you ever think that you've provided something, then you've failed. You've fallen to the temptation. God provides everything for you. By the way, you can do a miracle today. Does anybody want to do a miracle today? Of course you do, right? You, you know you want to do a miracle. Here's the miracle that you can do. You can take plastic or paper and you can turn it into food. Leave church today, go to your favorite restaurant, hand them plastic credit card or paper money, and they will, in return, hand you food. It's a miracle. You did it. Congratulations. If you think, though, you did that all by yourself, then you failed. You, you have fallen to temptation. God provides everything. Why do we pray before a meal? To give thanks for what he has provided. I know that we think, well, yeah, directly, but he has provided this for you. I think it's the most common sin that people commit daily, thinking we did it. God provides it. The Lord provides. Do this for me. Take a deep breath. Exhale. God just gave you that breath. Do you thank God for that? Because that's worship, by the way, when you respond to God's grace and mercy. That's worship. That's what it is, simple as I can put it. God gives you your breath. He gives you your car. He gives you your home. He gives you your job. He gives you your clothes. He gives you your precious phone. He gives you your PlayStation. He gives you everything you have, your boat, your friends, your family, all that comes from God. And when you're tempted to think that you the man or you the woman, you've failed. Don't fall to that temptation. God's word 
is the way of escape. That's the first temptation Jesus faced. What about the second one? Move on to verse 5 in chapter 4. The devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is, by the way, 20 stories high. All right, so you're looking down 20 stories, said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because it is written, and he's quoting Psalm 91, the devil quoting Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike, lest you strike your foot against a stone. By the way, on a side note, there's been times in the back of this uh, sanctuary in this auditorium that I have been on a 12-foot ladder on the very top part painting the peak of the thing uh, back last summer or whatever. And I, whenever I have to get to the very top to get to the peak, I always think of this scripture right here. Lord, you're ne- I need your angels to make sure that I don't fall right now. All right, thankfully it's all painted and we don't have to get up there anymore for a long time. But the devil is saying this to Jesus. And when I read this for the first time, it scared me. The devil knows scripture? The devil knows the Bible, but he also knows how to take it out of context, which is what he often does. Jesus said to the devil, but it's written also, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He correctly applies scripture. He uses God's word as a way of escape. Now, when Jesus says this particular um, passage. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You must ask yourself, where is that written? Which Old Testament passage is Jesus quoting and using? And there's two options here. There's Deuteronomy 6 or there's Isaiah 7. And they both say, don't test God. But I think it's Isaiah 7 because I believe that the devil is really asking Jesus to do what most people wanted him to do, um, have a sign. Give us a sign that you are who you claim to be or who people are saying you are. Are you really God? Are you God's son? Are you the Messiah? And so Isaiah 7, this is what I, why I believe Jesus is quoting Isaiah 7, The devil is asking him to turn stones into bread. Let the angels save you. Isaiah 7, 14, Jesus says this in response to the devil asking for a sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And what is the sign that the Lord gives? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. The sign that God gave to the world his son, born of a virgin, to be with us. The religious leaders will ask Jesus when he's older, later on, give us a sign so we'll know. My question is, do you need a sign? Do you need a sign? And my answer to that is, and I hope you have the same answer, no, I don't need a sign. But I do need greater faith. And that's really what we need more than anything. We need faith. Because if we don't have faith, then we have no trust. Right? We have no, we're doubting. We're doubting. And then you have to ask yourself, well, where does faith come from? How do I get more faith? You know, where, where does that come from? 
is, is it my ability? Can I produce more faith in myself? And I think the answer is no. Because when you know Ephesians 2.8, when it comes to salvation, it says that by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not your own doing. You can't save yourself. It says that it's a gift from God. The faith to believe is a gift from God. And does God love to give gifts? Absolutely. Luke 11.10, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So if you're ever tempted, you're ever at that point in your life where you're like, oh man, God, just give me a sign. Uh, Catch yourself right there. You don't need a sign. You need more faith. And ask as the disciples asked in Luke 17, 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's what you need. You need more faith. And that's the correct way to apply the word of God. God's word is the way of escape. Whenever you're tempted to say, give me a sign, just simply use God's word and ask for greater faith. God will give it to you. Third temptation, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now that should make your head, I mean, that's a head scratcher right there, right? I mean, the devil is offering to Jesus the kingdoms. Since when does the devil own the kingdoms of the world? Well, if you look at Luke 4, 6, remember Luke wrote about his temptation as well. It said to him, this is Luke writing this, the devil said, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. So it's the same thing, which is very interesting and very frightening, that the devil the one who's been banished from heaven, Lucifer, the angel, the former angel who's been banished from heaven because of his pride, has been banished to our earth, right? And he has been given the ability to have power. He roams freely. This is one of those rare situations in which I believe Hollywood is actually somewhat biblically accurate. (laughs) In Hollywood, you watched in movies, You've watched in television shows where people will say, I've sold my soul to the devil. Yeah, well, I believe it's pretty accurate. Not so much in the sense of like you can actually sell your soul, but you have given in to the temptation, and the devil is the greatest tempter of them all. Think about it. What makes an evil leader? We have lots of evil leaders, right? You might be thinking of your boss right now, okay? I don't know, all right? But there's lots of evil dictators, leaders, and you think, how did they get that way? What happened to them that they become this evil leader, this evil person? The answer to really the root of almost all sin is pride. Think about that. We commit sin all the time, and the root of that sin is generally pride. So you have this person who wants power or fame or money, right? And that's their 
that's what that's their desire within them, right? And now it becomes this temptation, and the devil is right there saying, you can have it if you just take it. The temptation is there. You can have it. Just take it. And probably even saying, God wants you to have it. Take it. The devil is the great tempter. And the, the pride that we have within, right? That, that we want something that maybe we're not supposed to have. But the devil is saying, if you want it, just take it. Pride is an issue. Pride is the thing that he was tempting Jesus with here. Look, Jesus. Look at all these kingdoms. I've put those people in place. I'm part of the reason. Look what I've done. And I'll give it all to you if you bow down and worship me. That's the devil. That's what we're up against. How do you handle your pride? How do you handle the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of your life? 1 John 2 tells us that. How do you handle that? God's word is your way of escape. You got a pride problem? You got a sin problem? God's word is the way of escape. This is what Jesus said to the devil. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In other words, there's only one room, there's only room for one God in your life, and it's not you. Don't be a God. God is the one you should worship. Lots of people are worshiping themselves, though, aren't they? Let God be the one you worship. And the devil left him, and then angels came and were ministering to Jesus. There were probably actually more than three temptations. Only three are recorded. I say that because in Luke 4.13, it says when the devil had ended every temptation. So there could have been more. Even if there were more, Guess how Jesus resisted? God's word is the way of escape. That's how he handled every temptation. For no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what your ability is, but with the temptation, God will provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it. Amen? Amen. Battling temptation is difficult. It's a challenge. It's not easy. I, can, I know I can stand here and tell you this is how you do it. You battle it with God's word. You know God's word. You apply it in every situation. You apply it properly in every situation. You go to it, but it's still a challenge. But he, here's even a greater challenge. What if your temptation has already become a stronghold? A stronghold is a whole other level. In your life. A stronghold is when you've given in too many times to the temptation. You don't just eat the marshmallow. You steal the bag of marshmallows and eat them all. That's a stronghold. And it, 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 and it can ruin your life. In fact, 2 Corinthians, I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. This is spiritual warfare here. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war against uh, the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy these strongholds. 
arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God by taking captive every thought obedient to Christ. There's your solution right there. Every thought, take it captive. See, strongholds are fortresses in your mind. And they impede your walk with God. In fact, they ruin lives. You've seen it before. Celebrate Recovery uses three words to, des- to describe strongholds. They call them hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You ever heard that before? Hurts, habits, and hang-ups? It's put together by a program called Celebrate Recovery. It's a faith-based program helping anyone suffering from hurts such as emotional issues caused by divorce or dysfunction or abuse, on and on. Habits people have like gambling, alcohol, addictions, drugs, pornography, gossip, uh, disorders. Then there's hang-ups people have, which I call stinking thinking, negative mental attitudes, right? Uh, anger, anxiety, worry, depression, perfectionism. And sometimes those strongholds are so strong in a person's life, they need really professional help. They need counseling. They need a program like Celebrate Recovery, which exists in, in our area And I suggest it because it's based on God's word. I don't say it's the only option. I'm just saying it because it's something that's based on God's word because I'm telling you this morning that God's word is the way of escape. How are you going to break free from your stronghold? God's word. It's your way of escape. In fact, I would call it a goad. A goad. You know what a goad is spelled G-O-A-D? You might have seen this word in scripture once or twice. The first time it appears is in Acts 26, verse 14. It's the Apostle Paul recalling his testimony in which his former life, by the way, when he was named Saul, he persecuted Christians because he thought that they were following the wrong way. (laughs) But they were following the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. But he thought that they were doing it wrong. He was a very zealous Pharisee, religious guy, and he was all about religion but he wasn't about the relationship. And so he found himself in a situation where God opened his eyes, spoke to him, and said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. How many of you ever read that and thought, what the heck is a goat? All right? What's a goad? Well, good news. I'm going to tell you what a goad is today. All right? If you've ever been in charge of keeping the fire going, keeping the fire going, and you know what a fireplace poker is, right? That, rock, that metal iron pointing thing, right? And, and you, you, you can put the logs wherever you want to put them, push them around, right? Well, that's what a goad basically looks like. And it was used by uh, a farmer. He had his oxen yoked together, and he was plowing his fields, and the oxen would sometimes take a break, uh, and when they weren't supposed to take a break, and he would poke them with the goad. Get going, get moving, right? And what they would do, because they don't like that, no animal likes being prodded along, right? So they would like kick against the goad, right? But their, their head is fixed in the yoke, and they can't see what they're doing, so it's like this. It's like you walking around in the middle of the night trying to find the bed so you don't stub your toe, you know? You can't see it, right? You're kicking against the goads. You don't even know what you're doing. Well, this is another place that God's word 
refers to the goad. The wisest man in the Old Testament, King Solomon, said that the word of God is a goad. It says in Ecclesiastes 12.11, the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd. The words of the wise are these goads that keep you moving along, keep prodding you along, because you can get stuck in your stinking thinking, in your addiction, in your hurt, and you need someone to prod you along, keep you moving. And that someone is God's Word. God's Word needs to push you along and get you out. There was a man who was in the grip of a terrible depression for more than a year. But he was delivered because daily he meditated on one verse. Not my will, but yours be done. That was his verse. Meditating on a day and night, it goaded him, urged him to think about his life on his own, uh, on those terms, not his own terms, but those terms, and he was brought out of that depression in a relatively short time, and he never returned to it. The Word of God moves you. It's the way of escape. Let it be your goad. Let it help you when you face temptation, and let it free you from any strongholds that you have. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this message today. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who teaches us time and time again, every single time, he teaches us how to live the abundant life. How do we face temptation as Christians and escape? Thank you, Father, for your word. It's living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it gets down to the problem, the, the, the root of the problem, and it helps us understand us better. It helps us understand ourselves. Father God, may your word help many today. I know there's many here, Lord, that are struggling with a temptation, struggling with a stronghold, whether it be a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. Whatever it is, God, I pray today that they can find the verse, find the passage in Scripture that will goad them back on track, that will help them be free so we can bring you more glory, so we can live a better life. I thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.